Report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He laser clickers. Welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen, and I'm joined by my friends and co-hosts, Tom and William. Now, as we talked about in our last episode, we were lucky enough to see the first four episodes of Andor ahead of release. This is our review of kind of, I don't know, what do you call it, the premiere night, the opening three episodes, which is super exciting. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about all the juicy stuff last time, so... right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this, you guys. Yeah, me too. I mean, these episodes, literally, as we're releasing this, these episodes have just come out. It's brand new. Hopefully, if you haven't watched the three episodes yet, stop what you're doing. Please. Watch the first three episodes and then come back and enjoy them with uh, you know, with us mm-hmm. as we dissect everything that ha- happens in these episodes and kind of talk about what we liked and what we didn't like. But we are going to go into full spoilers it just came out right this second on Disney Plus as uh, this episode is coming out. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, check yes. it out. Watch them first and then come here watch. and we'll all enjoy. I, I just want to say it was really nice for them to send us the time travel machine so we can watch it, you know, <laughs> like the three hours or it's not really like three hours. You know, you know, the full three episodes. Yeah, we, we, we get the idea. We were able to watch it before. You know, yeah, it's, we get it. I mean, it's, it's really the world between worlds is really what it yeah. was. So there you go. Good there one. We, we reached in, saved Ahsoka, and then, you know, watched. And watched basically. Andor, and we're like, we're good. See yeah, you later. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Tom, I think everyone knows that we're going to be reviewing tonight. But for right. those who may be living under a rock, what's, what's up on the schedule tonight? Okay. Well, tonight we're going to be reviewing the first three episodes of Andor, basically episodes one, two, and three. All three were de- uh, directed by. Toby Haynes, and written by Tony Gilroy. And in this episode, or these three episodes, in an era filled with danger, deception, and intrigue, Cassian will embark on a path that is destined to turn him into a rebel hero. Yes, yes. So, I, I'm so excited to talk to you guys about this. Like, we've, of course, we had The Mandalorian, The Book of Fett, which is basically a spinoff of, you know, The Mandalorian, very, very much in The Mandalorian vein. We had Kenobi, which is really a continuation of, of um, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi's story d- while he's living on Tatooine. There's a nice twist there that we weren't expecting. But this is the first Star Wars series that feels completely different and new uh, and very, very fresh and unique, I think. It was, it was billed as a kind of a spy thriller um, we, starring, of course, Diego Luna as Cassian Andor as a kind of a prequel to Rogue One or a prequel to a prequel. Uh, and now we have our first look at these. Well, we would only be talking about the first two episodes right now. Mm-hmm. I'll start with you. What did, what did you think of 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 Andor high level? Before we get into the details, high level, right, right, high yeah. level. Um, the one thing I did, I really appreciated this. They they're taking, like you said. This is a brand new character that was created for Rogue One. And now we're going to get a backstory for this. Where we find him when the show first opens, it does kind of give you a backstory of why he's got an accent. That's how I read this. But also you were saying that it's different, but it's still familiar. You still get the feeling that this is part of the Empire. And you get into that aspect. It's a little different, 
but the feel of Star Wars is still there. And then when you have, let's say, the corporate police, we're going to get into that too. That still had a feeling of Star Wars to it. So I really appreciate this. And I do like there is an air of freshness around it, especially when you're in a town that gets woken up by a guy that goes up and starts hammering on this big thing that's supposed to represent a bell. And it seems like it is just it's it's a daily routine and a nightly routine. But it's different, but it still feels like it's in the Star Wars universe. Steven. And and I like this. Sorry. Yeah, Steven, what what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I'll say overall, I enjoyed the first two episodes. I do think um, there's very clearly like kind of an opening arc, you know, settling, Mm -hmm. setting up our characters, who the main players are, what kind of the state of the galaxy. And I I mean, we'll talk about this as we go throughout the episode. I will say, I think episodes one and two were... We had like a single 75 minute episode and instead of cutting it into two, like a 40 minute and a 35 minute, I wish they'd just cut into like a single 45 minute episode. Mm -hmm. I feel the same way. It's got a similar problem in some ways that Kenobi has uh, had, I should say, Mm -hmm. in that um, it it just starts out a little bit on the slow side. I -hmm. wish it picked up a little bit faster, but it's yeah, I think you're right. I mean, like it's kind of weird. Like Kenobi was our big our first real uh, connected to the like movies mm-hmm. ep- uh, story, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, a sequel in, in a kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, this mm-hmm. is, like I said, it's a prequel to a prequel to the original. So it, it's got a kind of weird vibe to it. I'd say like, especially when you're starting you're like, Oh, this is, uh, this is Cassian, the guy who dies mm-hmm. getting the death star so that we can watch the movie in episode four that we wanted to watch. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, I, it's one of those things. I feel like it was, I think we were surprised when they announced the show to begin with. It felt kind of like an odd sell. And I'd say, you know, these the first two episodes kind of hold on to that vibe a little bit. It still mm-hmm. feels like kind of a weird sell as it's kind of finding its feet. Uh, but it does get there. So well, I'm looking I, forward to I, talking yeah, about that yeah, more. Yeah, and yeah, I, I, I agree with you both. It's, it, it definitely starts off a little bit slower. And it's good they're releasing the first two episodes today yes. as you're listening to this. Um, to kind of get more of a, of a feel. And uh, it's, that said, I, I think it, some people might be going into this thinking, okay, it's a, it's a story about a rebel spy and he, you know, the missions he goes on. And this does not start with Mon Mothma giving out, you know, orders and Cassian going off and, and infiltrating something or, or other, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's not this show, not yet at least. I, I right. do think it will get there. Um, and, but this is really, uh, Tom, no, no, go ahead. Finish your thought. I'm sorry. Yeah. But this is, this is really a, um, it, it, the show starts off by taking, giving you, um, Cassian's backstory and Mm -hmm. helping you understand where he's coming from and, and really kind of lets you immerse yourself in the lives of Cassian and the, the other people of Ferrix and it's it's really interesting. Like I I feel like you really get a good sense of this world, and mm-hmm. and how how people are living in it or in in this mm-hmm. in this time. Um, in some ways, it reminded me of what Book of Boba Fett. I felt like was trying to do, showing yes. life yes. of Tatooine. Yeah, and where yes. I feel like Tatooine, like Book of Boba Fett. I mean, we talked about this at length, but like I don't feel like it delivered on that promise at all. It felt mm-hmm. the world felt small. It felt not great to say the least. Um, 
But Ferrix and the kind of Morlana corporate zone, this sector, ends up feeling much more alive. It feels bigger. And like mm-hmm. you said, it feels it's it's a fascinating look into what life is like for you know your average Joe in under the Empire. Exactly. Um, exactly. And so it starts off and you there's not necessarily a big hook right away, right? It's okay, here's I, here's here's Morlana, well, here's Cassian. There there's certainly things happening that you're intrigued about. And you're like, oh, what mm-hmm. what's going on here? What's gonna happen? There's some mystery, there's some you know, there's like a, a Cassian gets involved in a, a murder, and there's an investigation going on. Okay, hang on, that. wait, wait, wait. Yeah, 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 in yeah. A murder, yeah. William. I think he yeah. was uh, quite like perpetrating a murder, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, was, uh, he, he, <laughs> he was involved. Oh, he was involved. I said he got involved. He, he, he but, he, but he got he. He got involved unwillingly. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So, and, and but but my point is more like yes, there's there's that whole undercurrent, and there's like the Cassian, the the corporate sector authority is going is trying to figure out who killed these officers and uh, and eventually hunting for Cassian. Mm-hmm. But you know that's kind of like it's it's really just Cassian's living his life he's trying to do something he's selling things it's not really clear what he's he's doing yet there's like flashbacks to his past um but but and, there's not a lot of information and, yet and so it doesn't i think some people might watch this and go uh there's not a lot happening yet right and i do think it's interesting and i do recommend you should keep watching because mm-hmm. it will get i i believe it will get to a point you know, we're we're seeing his backstory. This is like Act right. One of a movie, and if you, this is really cut in even, even more so than Kenobi, where it was it was very cinematic, but each episode was a distinct chapter. Yeah, right? you'd have an episode with like those. This was the Anakin flashback episode where they're dueling, and this is the you know underwater episode. If you were to edit these together, I don't know if you could tell the seams in these episodes in many ways. And- and I agree with that because when you watch the first two episodes, mm-hmm. it did feel like it was a movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, 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 so, and so as long yeah. as you go into it knowing I'm watching the first – and it's, it's a very long movie, right? Because these two first yeah, two episodes are like, what, an hour, hour ten? Um, as long as you go in knowing like this is the first, I don't know, quarter, sixth of the mm-hmm. movie, then it, it it makes a lot of sense, I think. Yeah. And, and the story continues to pick up. But – you know, it'll be interesting to see what people, whether people give it that chance, because I think you have to watch more than the first two episodes to really yes. get the show going. Well, I think for me, the, the biggest thing about it is you have to because you get to see the drive of what's making him move forward. Mm-hmm. You were talking about how we ended up in the corporate sector and about the two guards and, and the murder. Well, have you ever in the Star Wars universe been to a brothel? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's where he ends up finding these guys. Yeah, well, and actually, is this some one of the most adult Star Wars shows in many ways? Like they go to a brothel. There's like an extended scene with uh, um, these later in, in in episode two uh, with uh, uh, Bix and her her boyfriend. There's a whole bunch of stuff, um, and it's yeah, never graphic, it is, it is but. It yeah, it's definitely pushes the boundaries a lot more than Star Wars has in the past. But don't you agree that when you're looking at this this establishment, I 
almost sat there and thought I was walking into a cantina that I've been to before. <laughs> yes, it, it, it had a very snor- feel. very similar shape. In fact, um, yes, yeah, uh, it, yeah. My it, my wife was like, "Wait, is is that is that the Star Wars cantina? They just like reskin it." Thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you. I just, but but it's it's one of those things in which when you when you look at it from that point of view, that to me is actually where you start getting the backstory of what is driving Cassian Andor is in this scene. Right. Well, because he's looking for his sister. And that's the, that's the big thrust of this. Like something happened with his sister and you get, you get hints via, uh, through the flashbacks, something happens Mm -hmm. to his sister and now he's looking for her. And that's kind of the, the driving force behind Cassian's story right now. And so I'll say, I think one of the challenges with these first two episodes, the reasons they come across a little bit slow and I think hard is, uh, I don't think his drive comes through strongly enough. Mm-hmm. And it's it really is, I think, because the first scene is him walking into the brothel asking for a canary girl, which is, at least as far as I know, not a term we've heard before. Nope. Yeah, no. Uh, we don't know nope. a, nope. a species, a planet. Like, it ends up being a planet, but, like, it, there's a lot happening there, and we very quickly move on to kind of the two guards that shake him down. And it, mm-hmm. I found it... Uh, especially for these first two episodes, I didn't know, am I, is this a story about Cassian looking for his sister or is this, you know, Cassian makes a mistake and has to deal with the consequences. It, I think it mm-hmm. struggles a little bit from mm-hmm. not quite, uh, they buried the lead a little bit too deep in some ways. Like I think they mm-hmm. need, especially for the kind of opening episode for a new series, like I need a little more rope to know which direction I'm being pulled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. But I have to say Diego yeah. Luna is, he's, I really enjoy watching him. He has such oh, a great, I, I he's such he a great actor great. and has such a great energy on screen and such a joy to watch. Um, you can kind mm-hmm. of feel the fun he's having uh, in yeah. every, in oh, every you scene. Could still, you could still see it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so, and so that, that part helps me, but you're right, Stephen, there's not enough of the motivation where it's a little confusing at first. What is going on? Why is he looking for this girl? What is a canary girl? You, he says mm-hmm. it's his sister at one point, but you're like, is he lying? I don't really know. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's not clear. Um, but yeah, and I, that ends I up think being the way cleared up when they do the flashback. I, I, the flashbacks help a little bit. We'll talk about those yeah. in a moment. I I think okay, go ahead. I think the better way and the thing that helped me frame these episodes and part of it was help watching like you know episode two starts and you get the like last time on Android. Okay, these are the this is what mm-hmm. they thought was important. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The crux of this really is. You know, leaving the brothel, having not really gotten the information he's looking for, Andor or Cassian is uh, shaken down by two kind of corporate security guards mm-hmm. who want to get some money. And right. Cassian defends himself. One of them is killed on accident. Uh, Cassian intentionally shoots the other in order to, I assume, remove witnesses. And it is that mm-hmm. choice and series of events that kind of start to unravel Cassian's life. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And and exactly. I have to say, I appreciated the parallels to the beginning of Rogue One where Cassian shoots uh, the, the the guy in the back alley, uh, right? Yeah. Where he's like, he's injured, he can't escape, he's an informant, tells him about the Death Star and he has to shoot him, right? It, I, I did enjoy the parallels there to Cassian's introduction in, in both the series and in Rogue One. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, it, this is what kind of sets off this whole investigation and, and everything um we need to talk about the flashbacks but i also want to talk about briefly so these these security guards they're they're pre-more guards 
Um, and there's a lot of terms thrown around. Um, yeah, there's that like was, Primor, that was the there's, yeah. uh, you know, uh, the Morlana corporate zone. But we also find out this is part of the corporate sector authority, which is really cool. Like we've heard of seeing these in the books. It's our first time to seeing the corporate sector authority on screen. Um, what did you guys think of of this, seeing the, the CSA? I, I like when the guy went into the... Well, go ahead, Stephen. Go ahead. I, was like, I always enjoy when they bring things out of Legends into the universe, and you know, I my recollection is the corporate sector authority shows up quite a bit in the original Han Solo mm-hmm. Adventures like uh, trilogy by was it Brian Daly, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like it's this works about how you expect. You there's a very clear kind of corporate corporate hierarchy. You can tell you're kind of living in like the company mining towns. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really neat part of the universe, and it's interesting to see how it interacts and. Uh, kind of relates to the empire and what's going on more broadly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I found it a little bit confusing just given how many, because it's so new and you're like, okay, how does this fit into the empire? And how does this, uh, you know, even of course, you know, we, we've read the books, right. But as a, as a casual viewer, how does the corporate sector authority fit in with the empire and the, what is pre more and why are there pre more guards? And uh, what's the, is is the Morlana corporate zone an, an aspect of the corporate sector authority? You know, there's all sorts of interesting question marks that come up, which I think it's really cool lore. And I, and as those episodes go on, you learn a lot more about these and it starts getting really interesting, but yeah, starting right off the bat, you're just like, Whoa, there's so much happening. And I don't really know what's going on. And you just kind of have to roll with it and mm-hmm. you know, things will be revealed. Uh, and just kind of enjoy and immer- immersing yourself in this in this world. And and of course we'll 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 talk more about the corporate sector authority later and uh, kind of the the investigation that's happening. But should we talk about the flashbacks first? Because I think that's probably yes. worth I, discussing. I, I think we need yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I'd say let's even to. go. Th- I'd say go through all the flashbacks in one go. Yeah. Like they're yeah they're interesting. They're there's no dialogue. I mean, there is dialogue, but it's all in Canari. I assume Canari or whatever yeah, Canari. their equivalent language is. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of show don't tell, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's but, no subtitles, and and they're not they're not speaking English, and so you really don't know what's. I think that also adds to a little bit of the confusion as well. To be totally honest, right mm-hmm. around. You know, you don't really know what's happening in in Cassian, in the present with Cassian, but in the past, you're 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 assuming. I think this is Cassian. He's being called Cassa. Uh, there's a girl Carrie, which we believe is his sister. Um, but there's just a bunch of these kids. We we, we of course they're credited as as alphas, um, but they see this ship crash land on the planet, and. You know, well, they, they go to investigate basically, but it happens over the course of four or five flashbacks in these first two episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. Sorry, Steve. No, I was going to say that I struggle with the flashbacks a little bit. On the one hand, I, I actually think it's really cool that we're getting, you know, no spoken dialogue that we can understand. Mm-hmm. I do feel like, you know, I don't know how much runtime they take up over like the first, you know, episode or two, but like, it's not nothing. No, it's pretty, it's and, pretty beauty, and it yeah. can be summarized as co- like presumably young Cassian and a bunch of children because uh, that seems to be all they are, mm-hmm. make their way towards a crash ship. Yep, that's exactly okay. it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's you know, it. They, they, like, paint themselves. They put some, like, uh, paint on their face, and 
you know, they, they see, well, first they see the ship crash and they, they paint themselves and they get ready to leave and they start walking off. And that's, that's the sun. That's the entirety of the first episode, but it's a pretty decent amount of flashbacks and you don't really have any idea what's going on. Um, it, it starts getting more interesting though in season, in the second episode, um, you know, where you see this giant mining, um, pit almost, yeah, well, it was. A, it looks by. like it was an abandoned mining pit. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think they even mentioned that. Yeah, and I th- let, let's we'll we'll try to separate the two episodes. We'll try to review them separately, but I think for the flashbacks, it, it's worth talking about them all at once. That part I agree with. Um, and then they they arrive at this this ship. It looks like a Republic cruiser of some sort that has been has crash landed, and there's bodies strewn. Everywhere, and I, um, you know, at first I thought it was an imperial ship, but if you look closely, it looks like the patches are Republic, which was really odd to me given this time frame. Although I guess this is a flashback, right? And so maybe timeline wise, yes. that makes sense. I mean, Cassian's what, like in his twenties, I would assume, late twenties. Yeah, Somewhere and, and, and in the flashback, probably. he's probably what I would assume six is is my guess. Um, no, I I yeah. would think he's older. So I, I I have a feeling he's older in the flashback. I. I, I believe he's six and and we'll, okay. we'll and well so there there's a whole fight that ensues right and they 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 attack and we find out that uh, and Cassian it looks like has his first kill at that point and remember in Rogue One he says he's been in this fight since he was six years old got it and so okay. I think this yeah, is yeah, that yeah. moment okay. even though he doesn't okay. look six but anyway the the bigger point is one why are these Republic officers if they are Republic and two, what the heck is going on here? Do you guys have any theories? It seemed like to me there must have been a virus or something that escaped within the ship, or that something made them put it look like they had breathers on or some kind of mask on, yeah. and something either because they were fired upon and the ship was de- was in a decompression thing when they were in outer space, they had to put on some kind of mask, or there was some kind of virus going on. Because am I wrong? But did I see a couple of them? Their their skin tones were kind of green or something. Yeah, they look very yellow and, and green. And that may play into something maybe later. I'm not sure. But there's something about that that just didn't make sense. But it does seem to be like you know. Remember we had the separat uh, the separatists back in the day had the blue 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 vial virus or whatever it is. Ah, Doctor yeah. New of Indy. <laughs> And and then in this case, maybe that was something that was that was either stolen from the Empire at the time, if it was Republic that we were seeing, or maybe the Republic was working on something at the time. We don't know, but it seemed to me something was released on that ship to make them sick. Very very interesting. And so I think this is where it does start to pick up, though. And just okay, something interesting, something's happening with his backstory. But again, we have zero explanation through. All of it. I don't know, Stephen. Any any thoughts on the the flashbacks here? What do you? What no, do you this think? is like I said. I obviously it's tough not knowing what comes later. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. like if I were an editor, I think I would have cut the flashback stuff. It it helps in that it establishes that we think who you know Cassian's sister is and implies that it might be important. But I just didn't feel like it added much to either of these two episodes, mm-hmm. and it did slow things down and kind of pull us out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I. It like it's almost like it was interesting. I'm it was cool to see like their village and you know the crashed ship and so on, but 
it just doesn't feel like it adds anything to what's actually going on. Yeah. Like if we wanted to tell a story about Cassian as, you know, a six year old, then make that, you know, a good chunk of the episode or a flashback episode or you know, something along those lines. But you see, Steven, in this case I have to disagree with you because I thought this flashback going into that Republic shuttle or whatever it is that fell apart, I thought it was useful. I thought that somewhere in there, to me, it gave me the impression that there was a drive that kind of kicked and and or onto his path to where we see him today. So I I thought it worked for me in the in that area. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. Yeah. The the other credit I have to give to kind of the show is we get yet another awesome droid character in <laughs> is it, I, I don't actually remember how exactly he's referred to is it. It's is it, it's B B T B two E Mo. So it's it's B T E Mo. B two E M O, but I think he just they just call him B. Uh, yeah, okay. that's yeah. what I thought. Played by okay. Dave yeah. Chapman, though. I'm, he, oh my gosh! Yeah, Stephen. <laughs> he does an awesome job. The opening sequence with you know him rolling down the street with the the dogs running past and peeing on him and then shocking them, <laughs> perfect. Just <laughs> it, no notes. Continue. So and, also, and it was the, the it was the R two D two moment. Oh, the music is so catchy in this scene. Yeah. Like, I love it. it uh, it's yeah, it's it's fantastic. I'd say Nicholas Bertel has done a really good job with the music so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of you know Rogue One ish, but also very different and and fresh, really good. But yeah, yeah. Th- that scene, with the, the rolling through the scrapyard with with B, oh, so good. But they did such a good job of giving him, uh, you know, unique characteristics. Like he's mm-hmm. very clearly beaten up, fallen on hard times, incurred some maintenance. The like slight stutter, I think, works really well. Yeah, um, yeah, it's but- just. How he's constantly like not doesn't have enough power to even lie, you know, or or, yeah. or you know, I can only lie. I only have enough power for one lie, not two. You know, it's great. He's hilarious. And I, I also I love, like the I movement. Him. I love yeah. the movement of the droid. It's something within the Star Wars universe we've never seen before that it kind of, it goes up and down, and he's got a section that kind of twirls, but also it's got four wheels this time, and it's just a fascinating concept for a droid within this universe. And I think in this setting, in this planet, it works because even the town itself, and when you see the workers, they're hardworking, they're beat up, they're, they're, they're just, you know, blue collar. Mm-hmm. And this droid seems like it was blue collar, but basically hardworking, beaten up, and just continuing on with my day. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like like we started talking about earlier. I just I really enjoyed the world building they did. Yeah. in these episodes, giving you a look at the people of Ferrix and kind of what what they're what they're like, what it's you know about. It's it's this it's this planet. If I, the way I understand it is, Ferrix is this. It's part of the Morlani system, and so not too far from Morlana One, where the 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 murder happens. But it's part of this free trade sector within the corporate sector authority. Um, which is in itself part of the larger empire, basically. It's kind of how I see the the structure of of everything here. And and on Ferrix, you know, there's people are like you said, they're just blue collar. They're trying to you know make ends meet by you know uh, taking apart scrap and um, you know and and Cassian is basically a, a scrapper uh, is mm-hmm. the way I understand it, right? He. He he works alongside all these other people like Brasso, I believe is you know what is coworkers or boss. Not really hundred percent sure. Yeah, that uh, that was the one thing where you're kind of how is this related? 
How is he? Yeah, but you know, it, it, was, it was fine. We didn't need to know necessarily, no. right? You know, um, Brazos keep his knowing, knowing that he's notices that he's like kind of acting strangely and not where he says he is, and casting asked Brazos to lie for him and all this stuff, uh, which is another great. Scene. I have to say, the writing in this has been really mm-hmm. good so far. I've really appreciated. It, well, the writing the and writing. the acting too, and the acting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, uh, a massive cast, massive yeah. cast. One of the biggest casts of any Star Wars show, like. It, the the credits go on for like three pages, oftentimes. Uh, you know when they're talking about just the cast, uh, it's really sprawling, um, and and some of the episodes are very different, you mm-hmm. know, different different people joining. Uh, but sorry, St- Stephen, you're gonna say something? No, I was just gonna double down. Like uh, I feel like uh, the individual dialogue and writing has been one of the weaker parts of a lot of the Star Wars television shows thus far. Um, and then either they don't have enough of it or what they do have comes out kind of awkward or stilted. Um, there is some awkward and stilted dialogue here, which we'll talk about later, but it's intentional. Well, yeah. In general, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they do an, they, like I said, they just do a fantastic job. Like the scene where um, Cassian is talking to his friend about like, oh no, we remember we went to the, you came to my house looking for me. I wasn't there, but then you found me at the bar and then we went ahead and drink and you punched me in the face. Like, <laughs> Just he's really, like he's really, like he's and he's like no 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 like you 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 offended you offended me yeah. by your by my choice of drink and so you know I you know da 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 right and he kind of plays off it, and it, so, and I, I, saying without saying yes I'll lie for you you know and I appreciate yep. and I so appreciated that because it's like no 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 your lie is not believable exactly. I've got the one that's gonna work and I'm gonna do it this way to make it believable yeah 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 um. Yeah, yeah, just there's so many. Or, or when Cassian runs into his his um, someone who loaned him money later, Nurchi, um, and you know, uh, and this other guy, this big alien called Vetch, is there, and he's just talking with Vetch, like, "What are you? What are you doing? Why are you shaking people down, Vetch? You need the money this bad, you know? It's like mm-hmm. it's really yep. good writing every step of the way. Um, and, it's a really nice change of pace. Yeah, yeah it is. And again, you know, the whole cast is great. Uh, Diego Luna in particular is phenomenal, but all of them, I thought, have done a, a really wonderful job. And it's a massive cast. Yeah. Massive. Um, and that's all I'll say. But like, I've been shocked by just how many people are in this show. Some of the other Star Wars shows you look at, and it's a pretty small cast, right? It's pretty small and contained. Uh, this show has so many locations. It feels. Uh, very cinematic and movie-like, uh, much like Kenobi. I mean, all of them have, have felt cinematic in some way, but this is particularly large and sprawling, mm-hmm. um, which is really cool to see. Yeah. It feels like almost the biggest budget of of all of the series so far. And I could kind of see it go that way because you're trying to establish a character that really is not like an Obi-Wan Kenobi or an Ahsoka Tano or, you know, um, an, an established character. Mm-hmm. And I could see them putting all this effort into it because he is now an established character, but he was actually part of, you know, Rogue One, not going back to any of the other features. And I can see them putting that money in there to make this work. And it shows. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it wouldn't have been what I was, what I would have expected for them. If, like, if I was going to predict where they'd put, you know, most of the budget and maybe they didn't right it just but it looks like it and that's a credit mm-hmm. to the 
to the 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 producers of the show, making it feel very big in, in the art department and everyone, right? Making it feel massive and sprawling and uh, like a lot of like a lot of people are are involved. Um, you know, some some of the other people we meet in this episode are um, as a I think she's a mechanic called Bix Carlene, played by uh, Adria Arjona, um, and uh, Cassian goes to her to try to sell a, a, a highly valuable and untraceable NS9 star path unit. Uh, it's still intact with the Imperial seals and everything. And, um, and we meet her and we meet, she becomes a, a much bigger player throughout these episodes, uh, as well as mm-hmm. her coworker slash, uh, lover, Tim Carlo played by James McArdle, uh, who has no idea that Bix is kind of selling things under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you, yeah. What th- thoughts on thoughts on them? My biggest thing was where where does he know her from other than was it ever established that he was somehow working there or somehow connected to her at all other than, hey, I got something to sell. Maybe that was something that flew over, you know. I read it as just Cassian is a small time thief and she's kind of the local Mm -hmm. fence. She's the front. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, she, okay. she does some dealing here in town and she's got some contacts more broadly for when, you know, she's got the, the good merchandise to unload. Mm-hmm. So the impression is that she was settling down into this part of a working world because she had herself a boyfriend that didn't know that she had this kind of thing going on on the side because he started getting, getting suspicious about Cassian. Yep. And starts starts following Bix around. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And. You know, the first episode just ends with her going to a secret communication station in like the back of some building and calling someone, presumably her her contact, to go fence these, uh, to fence these items. Um, and then you know, in in episode two, we kind of see that that story continue a bit more and how she keeps hiding things from uh, from Tim Carlo uh, when uh, you know, he, he she doesn't trust him clearly with what she's doing. That's a fascinating aspect, but you know, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. Um, let's talk about deputy inspector Cyril Karn. Okay. Played by Kyle Soler. I I think I'm going to have fun with this. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Tom, do it. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm watching, I can't say what I really say, what he really, really wanted to say when he first appeared. Um, Cause we like to keep this clean. Um, <laughs> I just saw this guy going, Oh my Lord, this guy is so stiff. Just so by the book. And I can understand, but it's, and, and he played it perfectly well, but you're looking at him just going, my God, I hate this guy. <laughs> no, it's not just that he's by the book, because that that's one thing. It's he's inc- well, he's incredibly he, by the book. Well, no, but I was gonna say he's he's self righteous about it as well. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. I, and and yeah. again, this and he's is not as good example. as he thinks he is. <laughs> no, no, no. And that's and that that that's that's the thing I think about the whole thing that cracks me up because I can't allude to this because something cracked me up later. But um, yeah, that is that I agree continue before i say something go ahead no i just i the scene between uh the chief that he's reporting to where they're talking about what happened probably is one of my favorite 
parts uh, out of either of these two episodes, both from, uh, you know, Cyril's, like the, the chief's comment about like, is your uniform non-regulation? Because he's like, yeah, I've gotten it, you know, tuck, touched up a little bit, tailored, you know, so it looks better. It's just like, oh, God, this, I already know everything I need to know about you, and I can tell you're mm-hmm. not a nice person. Yeah. Um, but I also just really appreciated the chief's very, like, you know what? Like, look, two officers were found at a brothel. They're not supposed to be there. They yep. also aren't supposed to have the money to be there, which implies they're doing something shady, which means they probably tried to shake someone down and got did it wrong. We yep. should not worry about this. This is not like there's a whole bunch of reasons this is not worth pursuing. Yeah. Yep. Um, and just the way he he deduces that from just the few facts we've got is just awesome to watch. And and that's and I think that was you're totally right about that. But that really started Bix's downfall right there because everything was downfall. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Cyril's downfall. Sorry. I'm so sorry, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of characters. (laughs) I know there's so many characters. I am so confused, but he was told leave this alone because here is the evidence. Just let it be because it's, it was really nothing. Yeah. And he didn't. And this guy just could leave it alone. He couldn't, you know, he starts investigating. He, you know, he, he, they realize they go to like some security checkpoint and realize that there's some, it's, it's very unclear. Uh, right. You know, like there's some it, sort of, some sort of traffic went through a security checkpoint according to this astro traffic control officer. And, but you know, they try to get, the, go figure it out and they start digging more. And but, but that, 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 that's the whole thing about this whole thing of the, the events that led to his downfall. Yeah. Every time he went to somebody to investigate something, they, they were just like, come on, it's nothing. Yeah. What, what you're asking for is nothing. And then he's like, but you guys aren't like law and order here. You guys aren't like, you know, get on this. Come on. Or And then I love the part where he's walking out and there's this empty area within this whole room. And he goes, put a desk here. And he walks out. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it is great because I think he's he desperately wants to do the right thing. He desperately wants to. Ca- he, he knows there was a murder. Under right. his jurisdiction, you know, and people died and the chief wants to sweep it under the rug. How dare he? And that, that's, that's true. That's and true. and, and he, he desperately wants to go solve it. And then he goes to the astro control officer, astro traffic control officer. And he's like, you're not doing your job. Do you care at all? Yeah. Right. And then he keeps investigating. He meets with another group of officers and. They're like, well, we don't have any, you know, we don't have any like census data. We don't have any information about Canary people on Canary on, on Ferrix. And again, he's like, you people are so incompetent. How in the world are you working for us? Which, right. Which, like, to, which to which to an extent, it, to an extent, you have to defend him. He is right. If this is supposed totally right. to be the empire. Yeah. yeah. If this is supposed to be the empire that's supposed to be like. Iron fist with within within the sector. Yeah, he was totally right. Yeah, and they're Down falling the asleep. Line. And he's like, "How do you? How can you let people through our, you know, the security checkpoints and and not care?" Right. right. You know, he's he's and, trying. And he, was, he was he was totally right. Yeah. But that led to his total downfall. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. And and uh, it's like you know. Well, I, I mean, I mean, it, not just, completely right, Tom. Like, well, no, it, but no, but like. No. You know, no, he keeps, I mean, he's going, but you know, he's going against the chief's wishes. He's, he's going against the chief's wishes and he's going to get himself in trouble eventually. And he increasingly does, 
you know, start to get himself. He he keeps digging, right? He goes and uh, he ends up meeting with the the hostess from the brothel, and uh, and then he goes and and meets with um, one of my one of my favorite scenes. You know, Sergeant Sergeant Linus Mosk, uh, played by Alex Ferns. Such a great moment. Oh, where the great! Two, such they're a, like two pieces of pod, and they're they're like, oh my gosh, this is. You know, of course, this can't happen, right? No, this, no way, this could happen. You know, uh, we have to. There's, just, there's pockets fermenting all over, and we have to deal with them. You know, it, it's and, and that and that that's the thing that's just like okay, he found somebody that was that that had the same mentality. Which you're also watching yeah. this, just going, dude, you are so going for a downfall here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just you know that something is going to go wrong. Right, and we in don't. We everything don't. Everything you're doing, right? And, and you know, like, because again, he he's not following orders, and we don't know what right. will happen. You know, right? Uh, but the, all signs are indicating that he's going to get himself in trouble, um, massively. In trouble. And so, but I, okay, but I have to say, my favorite moment though was when they decide they're going to put a team together and go down to uh, to Ferex and capture Cassian Andor. They finally figure out who he is. Right? They get they get a tip. By the way. Tim Carlo, my goodness, turns in uh, Cassian. I mean, I guess we don't know how well Tim knows Cassian. Maybe just like a random customer, to, to I, his I, point of view. And, and my impression was, it's it just it was the uncomfortable, no, uh, uncomfortable of seeing his girlfriend with Andor and how she was sneaking around. And then he he spotted them like on a look. You know, Cassian was sitting there telling her, "Look, I've got this thing. Get a hold of your thing." But from far away. You could tell that that it was seen wrong, right? So, yeah, yeah. and and so yeah, you know, and, they, and that basically led him to turning in Cassian, right? And so Karn gets the tip about Cassian, and the hostess confirms it, uh, and so they decide to go capture Cassian. And so then, I don't know as far as the second episode goes. I can't tell if I should call this my favorite part or like. My least favorite, favorite. Oh, definitely part, the favorite like part. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, it's, it has to be favorite. You know, there yeah, we've got Cyril. He's got his his uh, shock squad ready to go. They're coming in. the The head off head officer gives his little spiel about what they're doing, and then Cyril steps up to give his big speech. And man, guys, we're all here. To, you know, we're here to do a podcast um, for for honor and and to review. You know, this episode. Um, so. Let's go get it. Yeah. <laughs> and when so... he was done, the the, the 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 pity applause. I'm sorry. Yeah. I have to say it. And the eye rolls. The, the eye rolls the as he's talking. Pity applause. You can see it on all the soldiers' faces. Like, this is so oh, bad. I know. And the, it, it's the most generic speech possible. And then Sergeant Mock, they all kind of do a pity clap. And Sergeant Mock just calls it inspiring. <laughs> it's so yeah. good. Yeah. It's yeah. The writing yeah. is amazing. I think the sarcastic inspiring is by far my favorite. Like, <laughs> I don't know if it was sarcastic though. I think, I think you know, Mosk like is. I think he believed like, him. I think he believed it. You know, yeah, I think I, he's I like, agree. no, 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 it's hundred percent. Like, <laughs> no, he, there's no way he believes it at all. He knew it was just as awkward as everyone else. <laughs> but I, I do think he probably uh, has a little bit more respect for Cyril as this kind of like young officer who clearly wants to do the right thing and has like a vision of himself as a hero, but like, you know, it's not, he realizes it's not quite there yet. Oh, it's so right. good though. It is so, 
so it good. was so bad it was good yes exactly exactly uh yeah and that was his downfall <laughs> yeah i mean that, uh, that you, you no. could say that was his downfall <laughs> exactly, right there exactly no uh it's so it's so well done um yeah it's as i said the writing is just it's it's hilarious and, and you uh, got you got to get you got to give the guy it's credit. not outright jokes right it's it's more right. just like really well done right you know yeah yeah right and and you you got to give him credit for delivering it the way he did yeah i mean just just brilliant yeah he may be one of my favorite new characters. actually i really like all the characters in this in this series every single one of them has been is really interesting um and i'm excited to see what what where they go with their stories mm-hmm um, we also at the end of the last at the end of the first episode, we also beat this guy named Pegla, uh, played by Kieran O'Brien, and um, it, it, we find out that apparently it's him whom Cassian is borrowing ships from, and and that's why he went to Morlana One, and when he got in the whole you know uh, trouble and everything, and uh, I, I, it sounds like Cassian is using his ships to go out and kind of rob the the empire basically of little things yep. they're they're just not looking mm-hmm. for you know yeah yeah i mean this is it's such a classic little like uh criminal underground type network like there's no major conspiracy here but it's just hey i've got a friend who's got the got the car i've got a friend who can sell the stuff i grab it's it's all small time yeah and it's all and it would have kept going fine until cassian killed two guards and started bringing the heat down yeah Yep. Yep. And then, you know, it, it, uh, yeah, it does not go well for any of them. Um, another character we meet, so many characters, my goodness, is <laughs> Marva Andor, played by Fiona Shaw, Cassian's mother, or maybe adoptive mother, based on some of the dialogue here. Uh, not quite clear. I, I, I kind of took it by way you say dialogue. It was it. She seemed like she was more of the adopted. Yeah, yeah. Type. Well, just because like she says like, you know, I don't remember the exact terminology, but like she's. I think she says you know, like all the documents say Cassian was born on Fest, but you know he was actually from Canary, and mm-hmm. uh, I think they make a, a comment about how she like. I don't, I don't remember exactly, but there was, you know, it, it sounds like she basically took him in. And and I think there, there's something about Canari so far mm-hmm. that is, a, it seems like it's a trigger thing because it's always like, it seems like if I'm reading it correctly, it seemed like the planet should have been like a persona non grata within the empire or something where it's like an off limits planet. Are you getting yeah, like, that same feeling? He, like Marva definitely, like there's a whole scene where she's questioning Cassie about who else knows about right. Canari. And right. it's, yeah, it's a weird kind of like, I, I I guess I'm looking for the answers to this. Like, there's something about Canari that is dangerous. I don't know if it's the Empire to Cassian and Marva, like, but there, it it seems to be a bigger deal than I would have expected. Like, this isn't the same as like, oh, yeah, I'm Corellian or I'm, right. from, I don't know, Corstantian. I don't know the correct term for that. But you, there's something with Canari, and I, I'm I am curious to find out what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So am I. Yeah. I also appreciated the retcon as well with Cassian's home planet, because uh, in 
the heroes of Rogue One Star Wars Encyclopedia, they mentioned that Cassian was born on Fest, or was originally from Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, but this series, of course, shows that he's from Canary, and I don't know why they didn't originally set him on Fest, but uh, it's, it's a nice... It's a nice retcon as to why or how he he came from there. You know, I I think it's it's really actually there's a number of Rogue One um, uh, sources that that mention where he came from, and I think it's a really cool. It's a nice retcon there to say, oh, well, that's what we officially told everyone, but mm. actually he came from Canary. <laughs> hey, it works. It works because now it's putting more mystery behind the character. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really cool. Um, but you know, she, she is, is clearly worried about Cassie and she ends up seeing the message that's sent out to everyone. I think everyone on Ferrix. Oh yeah. Um, It was, it was almost like a, um, uh, all points bulletin. Yeah. That was going out. And that was not supposed to have gone out by the way. But did go out. Yeah, and that's what she 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 starts freaking out because mm-hmm. she knows Cassie's from Canary, and while they they lied about his his origin, he hasn't been super secretive about it. Like he 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 will tell his friends um, and family members, and and so the secrets out there, and that's when he starts getting. Uh, uh, you know, she starts getting worried. Presumably, you know, Cassian told Bix at one point. Mm. And I guess Bix must have told uh, Tim and or or he just thought something suspicious was going up. It's not really clear yet, but that's that seems like a logical answer. Um, yeah, there's it's very, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool to, to meet her, though. I, I really liked uh, learning about her. Also, she so reminds me of uncle owen especially yeah, she when does. she's like walking through the house looking for b she's like b b if you power down again i'll be so upset with you you know it sounds exactly like <laughs> very very probably uh, down at tashi station wasting his time exactly you know? exactly had to get that power converter man but i think the rest of the episode really just kind of focuses on cassian realizing his life on fest is over and trying to figure out how to buy his way off world He's got the star path. He's made the deal with Bix to try and sell it. And now he's trying to figure out how he can actually get off the planet, you know, without access to the ship that he's been using thus far. Yeah. And and the walls are closing in on him. Like even when he goes to buy a ticket for passage off world, the the guy behind the booth, San Juan, he's like reading about the 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 warrant basically for a or information about a canary male and mm-hmm. he even asks Cassie like do you know anyone from canary like it, it's <laughs> it's it, it it keeps closing in yeah. on him um oh and actually we learned in the scene i forgot that canary was abandoned after a mining accident oh that's uh, and right the whole planet was abandoned and considered toxic so yeah tom i'm 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 assuming that crash may have led to that at some point yeah um but yeah it's there he clearly cannot stay and i suspect this is what's going to lead him eventually to the rebellion the question is how long will that take will that be in the next episode will that be five ten episodes from now it's a a 12 episode season and we do know that there's gonna be two seasons 
of the show, and the second season, the twelfth episode, will lead straight into Rogue One. Um, but how, what, what path that will take? Who knows? Because this is already not what I had expected for, you know, the beginning of of the show. But I'm, I'm enjoying it. I I think there's so much they can do with this character right now because really they kind of have a blank slate with him because he is only established from Rogue One. And now what I like about it is they're bringing in a very good, interesting backstory. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. And and man, they keep they keep expanding the mythology of this show. I think at the, at the mm-hmm. very end, uh, not the very end, but close to the end of the episode, we're introduced to yet another new character, Luthen Rail, played by Stellan Skarsgård. Um, and there's not a lot of information about who he is or what he's doing. He he arrives on the planet, and we see him land and kind of look out at the settlement and then take a train in where he meets with this, you know, uh, this, this great fellow passenger, Willie, played by Ron Cook. Uh, I felt so bad for Luthen. Like, oh, come on, man. Come on, public transportation. I don't want to talk to you. Just leave me alone. Can't you tell I've got, like, the, you know, the AirPods in? Yeah. I yeah, felt so bad one. for him. Yeah. <laughs> and Willie, he just keeps going, right? He just keeps talking oh, and talking right. and talking. Yakety, yakety, yakety. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's pretty much the end of Luthen's storyline in this episode. So I'm very curious to see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I I cannot wait. So I have to say, episode three is where I feel like Andor finally kind of finds its groove. We've had like, what did we say? Uh, two 40-minute episodes, basically, of mm-hmm. like build-up and scene setting. And finally, episode three, I feel like, is where I can unreservedly say, yeah, this is where Andor gets good. Yes. I don't know if you guys felt the same way. No, I, I totally agree with you. I totally, totally agree with you. It's, it's. I think what we we were talking about how you could take the the episodes and kind of make it like a movie, and this you could see the buildup to this point, and it just it all flowed perfectly well. This really kicked the show into high gear. This this episode totally. It, it really is the completion of the first act of this series, yes. and it. And I'm glad. I'm so glad that Disney Plus released the first three episodes together uh, at once because mm-hmm. they were originally talking about releasing just two episodes, and um, and they planned that for a, up until very close to the re- you know release date, only about a, a month uh, and a half or so prior. And um, I think this having all three episodes together really helps the show. I think it helps you viewers get a, a better sense of what the show is going to be. You start mm-hmm. getting a little more action. Uh, you, if you listen to our spoiler-free thoughts, you'll you probably heard us say that even the first three episodes don't really give you a complete sense of what the show will be like. But it's starting to get in that direction, right? You're starting yep. to see more thing. The story's really picking up, and we kind of leave the you know, we we leave um, Cassian's homeworld and. I don't know. It almost feels like the end of a, I don't want to say an era, but kind of, right? It feels like a, a, an end of a chapter it, in it's many the end ways. Of the first arc. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's it, it, yeah. If you look at a classic kind of hero's journey, this is the hero leaves home with a mentor. Yeah. Like, he is, uh, you know, the, the plot is kind of kicked on its way. We at least know, you know, some of the major players. We know what started the hero on his adventure. Like, this is Luke leaving Tatooine or Anakin leaving Tatooine. 
Um, I'm trying to think who else leaves Tatooine for their story. I'm sure there's Everyone. more. <laughs> yeah. This is Boba Fett staying on Tatooine. You know, it's exactly. just. Uh... But no, it's. I also was a fan. Like we, I for the previous two episodes I talked about, I was not a big fan of the flashbacks on uh, Casa. Mm-hmm. Um, too little is being shown. Um, I thought it was intriguing, but they just weren't giving enough meat to make it. Like, why are we spending time on this? You see, I think the flashbacks were important because we get to see him leave that planet because we need to have a backstory for Cassian Andor. Mm-hmm. And we got to see you had uh, Merva or or the, the the lady with the other guy look like they were going into a Republic frigate. Clem, or right? Yeah, Marva Clem. and Clem. Yeah. 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 So you need to see how he got away and how he got into, you know, why he was trying to find his sister you needed a jumping off point. You needed that backstory. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when he was in that ship and you had Clem and Marva come and save him, they took him off planet. So that right now he's separated from his sister. Do, you, do they ahead. save him though? I, no, I, I, so they, they, they have some dialogue. They, to, they talk ahead. about, you know, these people just kill a Republic officer. Right. Um, kind of confirming what we talked about in the previous episode. And, you know, they're going to get killed. Right. Um, it's, I don't know. It seemed a little uh, presumptuous, might be the it's, word. Okay, it's presumptuous, but then you see her later in the episode, and then when they're in the house, and they're walking around, you get the you get the idea that he basically grew up with her as a mentor or or you know foster mom or whatever, mm-hmm. and in a way that also explains his accent because she didn't have the accent, Clem didn't have the accent, so it it it, it to me it was building his backstory. Yeah, and, I, yeah, and I, I really ahead. liked seeing, like you said, his backstory and how, yeah. you know, I, I think the biggest struggle with these flashbacks is that if you watch one episode at a time, they don't make any sense. But if you watch all three and episodes back to back to back, they yep. they feel like a complete story. I think it's it's challenging, right? Because you can't. There's no subtitles, and and they're speaking, you know, another language, and so. You don't really know what is being said at all through the first, um, you know, the first uh, few episodes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, but I think by the time you get to the end, it's like, okay, you know, this is, this is Cassian's beginning. This is how he, uh, this is his origin story. And I thought it was at that point really well done. Right. And I think the interesting thing will be, you knew he was able to get off planet, but somehow they've got to tag it back to how did he figure out his sister got off planet? Because, because there's something about that planet that mm-hmm. makes it yeah. off limits. And that's why when they were inside the ship, uh, I think it was Merva or Clem sat there and said they only had so much time within that ship. And I think that's another reason why they had to get him out of there because whatever was wrong with that ship, he was also exposed to, and he was probably exposed to it longer than they were because they were making the big deal of, we got to get out of here. So, that's another intriguing thing about this. Yeah, I, I, I was so surprised. Sorry, Stephen. Yeah, Stephen, no, go I'm ahead. Say, like, I, I agree. And I, sorry, the more we talk about it, the more I'm starting to dislike the flashback again. Because, yes, we finally <laughs> got some action in the flashback. But the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, well, yeah, but they didn't really go far enough. Um, and it's, I sorry, I find it really funny when we talk about, uh, we needed to know Cassie and Andy and Andor's backstory. That's what I think the show is. <laughs> It is. It reads as the sh- or I read the show as this is mm-hmm. the prequel for Cassie and Andor, and I don't know that right. I necessarily wanted a prequel to my prequel that I'm currently watching. Well, but I think 
I think for me, it's it's the buildup of the drive. There's there other than yeah. other than watching I, him at this point as as Cassian Andor, you needed to see some kind of drive in him. And where did it start? And and I think with these three episodes, when you watch them in order, and thank you for having all three of them uh, air at once, because you really get the full story in one shot. And for me, you see that drive of him, and then now at this point, you see well he's the drive the, the, the drive to find his sister, but now you see a different drive to where it's like it, when it comes to going against the empire when he gets recruited into that. So you, you're you're getting to see a fuller character. Yeah, you know, actually, I was originally confused about what was why the Republic was there. That is a good question. And then I realized Cassian Andor, uh, according to Wikipedia, was born. So he he says he's been running from this fight since he was six years old, right? Mm-hmm. Cassian Andor was born in 26 BBY, um, which was just before the Clone Wars. Uh, and a few years before, right? Because 18 years for the Dark Times, or for, for like the Rise of the Empire, three years for the Clone Wars, that's 21. So he was born five years before the Clone Wars, so right in between Attack of the uh, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Um, so by the time he's six, this moment, this is during the, uh, during the Clone Wars. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I realized, oh my gosh, like, I, they're, I feel like they're almost separatists. Right, that's the impression I get. Maybe there are, maybe they're on the the side of the separatists, and that's why they're worried about the Republic on this planet. Um, uh, oh, the people who saved him. Yeah, Marva yeah, and exactly. and Clem. Yeah, yeah. Right. and so, but ultimately, I think that's why they did the flashback. Right, I think they did this flashback because um, they needed they needed to explain that line from Rogue One where Cassian says he's been running from this fight since he was six years old, mm-hmm. and I think that's purely that's the only reason why we have these flashbacks the you're right the rest of the story is is you know cassian's effectively his origin story right but we had to have the origin for the origin story so that they could explain how it all goes together in in rogue one yeah no that that i agree with it's fair i'll I'll say i thought the rest of uh you know, this particular episode did a much better job. And particularly with the arrival and uh, engagement, I don't know what the right word is, uh, with uh, Luthan Rail, mm-hmm. which yes. is uh, Stellan Skarsgård's characters. Mm-hmm. I love Just, his character. So great. Yeah, I do. I added, do yes, added a much needed, in my opinion, kind of uh, gritty vibe, spy vibe that the show has yep. been missing up until this point. Yeah, no, that I agree with. Especially when he gets on that transport and you have that, I will call him the little British guy that tried to talk to him the whole time. Right. And you could just, you could just tell that that he was it was that uncomfortableness that he didn't want to say too much, and the guy picked up on it, and it was like it it was just interesting interaction because you knew he was trying not to give away why he was there. Yeah, and so you know, I think you know it gets really interesting when he finally arrives in town though on uh on, on Ferex because mm-hmm. we quickly learn that he is Bix's buyer and he's the one who is going to be meeting up with Cassian Cassian is begging to to meet with to sell his the the star path and and so you know the the two of them 
uh, eventually, there, there's some other stuff that's, that's being intercut with, but the two of them meet up at this this where imperial it's like industrial warehouse of sorts, and that's I think where the the story really starts to get interesting because we learn that Luthen doesn't really care about the star path like he he mm-hmm. does in that sure it's super valuable and he'd love to have it, but he's there for Cassian. He's been really impressed by what Cassian is doing, and he wants to hire Cassian. Uh, now, that's an interesting thought. How did he know about Cassian? I, I how how I, has he how uh, has he been able to follow him through all the dealings that Cassian's been doing? So my assumption is he's followed this the uh, the star path maybe being stolen because mm-hmm. okay. uh, he talks. The big thing he seems to be talking about, like, you know, when uh, Cassian talks to Bix about it, you know, she seems surprised that he has it. She knows it's a big ticket item. Um, and Cass, uh, Luthen is interested in the man who could steal a star path. Mm-hmm. And it, it leads to that fantastic, I mean, we hear a lot of the uh, the dialogue in one of the trailers, but where Cassian talks about how easy it is to steal from the Empire, how arrogant mm-hmm. they are, how... They could never believe that anyone would steal from them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's a good moment that really, uh, oh God, I feel like I'm to, uh, I feel like I'm talking in Rogue One, but like it, it is what identifies him as a rebel. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it is the like the sassy Jin Erso, like that's what I do. I rebel. Like that kind of vibe to it. Although, right. yeah, with a much better line, but yeah, yeah. Totally. And, and, you know, he, he also says it with such swagger and such like, mm-hmm. he's like, yeah, I just walked in there. They, they never, you know, it's so easy. They just, they don't even care. And I think that's really what impresses Luthen so much that he wants to recruit him for mm-hmm. something, you know, and well, we don't, and we I, don't really know what yet. I'm pres- obviously it's the, um, it's the rebel, rebel, rebel alliance, right? Cause we know right. he eventually ends up with the rebellion. Right. Um, but, but, the, yeah. the fascinating point that you pointed out was how he could slip in under their noses. Even in one of the commercial shots, they have him literally in like an imperial outfit when it when he says that line right under their noses. Exactly. So yeah, you know yeah. you know he's going to be doing stuff like that throughout these episodes, which is going to be a boatload of fun to watch. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And so I yeah, so I, I love their dynamic, but that leads to a really cool action sequence. But first, you know, the while they're having this discussion in the warehouse, the corporate sector authority finally arrives on uh, on Ferrix. And you know, we, of course we just love Emphasis those. on finally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. finally. <laughs> they take their Now, uh what, I, not not to interrupt, but what did you think of the ships that they use for landing craft? They're pretty cool. I mean, you, you know they, I'm a sucker for ships. I love seeing the evolution of the Republic gunship. Yeah. Uh, they I'm were already a lot sold. smaller, there though. No question. I'm sorry. Yeah. And they were a lot smaller to me. They looked like they were a little bit more, you know, jam packed in there. They didn't look as a big. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was it was really cool, and, um, you know, so we we see them arrive and kind of how the relationships with the Cassian has built you know, on, on Ferrix are kind of starting to kind of unravel in many ways, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and strengthen in other ways. Like we, uh, we see Tim Carlo, poor Tim. He, he turned in Cassian in the last episode and he and, gets what he deserves. And he, yeah, he, he does. does. He, does. he does. He, he, he ends up, well, first he loses his girlfriend 
and then and ultimately ends up dying and paying the the price because he's he runs into the corporate sector authority uh, agents they don't know he's the informant and they shoot him <laughs> yeah oh yeah uh it's it's well, a sad think, end I, and i think the biggest thing that what i was impressed with the townspeople mm-hmm. when the corporate sector guys were going through town they were banging on things making it so uncomfortable and that i thought worked very well because you could tell all the corporate sector guys it seemed like they okay they're the shock troopers there's a guy who should know what they're doing but when you're watching them go through that town and these people banging on things, you could see the tension because they had no idea what was going on in that town with all that noise. I I particularly love Marva's line um, when she's talking to one of the, the soldiers and is like, yep. it's not the banging you need to worry about. It's when they stop. Yep. yep. I it, totally agree. This episode is relatively straightforward. Like it's, you know, Luthen and Andor meeting a running battle through the city and then they escape and that's kind of it. But the mm-hmm. the tension is built incredibly well throughout mm-hmm. the episode. And right. the, the banging is actually a large part of that. It's it's so yes. well done because it's it, they almost use it like music in many ways. In, in place of music. If you listen really carefully, I went back and rewatched it and you know the music there is one point where the 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 banging kind of fades out you know and the music kind of comes in for a little bit but then the music fades out and the banging returns and it's a it's a really cool way to show that the whole village is working together to to help each other right and they're and also kind of intimidate these new arrivals who are uh who are who are coming for something they don't really know what but you know they right they still want to band together and yeah, it's just, it's so well, so well done. And I really liked Marva in this episode too, how she kind of stands up to the CSA when they try to interrogate her and, you know, search her, her house for anything of Cassian's. Uh, it's, she, she's a great character. As great well. character because she stayed so calm throughout the whole thing. And that was, I think, also that made the CSA guy that was guarding her also nervous Mm -hmm. because there was, there was almost like no emotion. It's like, this has been done before you guys are going to pay the price and I'm just going to sit here and watch. Yeah. Although poor Cassian, I know he's not a rebel spy yet. He's just, he's kind of a noob, but you don't calm your droid like that, especially <laughs> when, I know he didn't know anyone was going to be at his he's house, a, but up droid. Now, this is, this was Obi-Wan all over again, where I'm just like, why, why are you leaving sensitive voicemails ever? <laughs> William, I need you to know my social security number is <laughs> right. Blah, blah, blah. Just, just Even if there's no one over your shoulder, you got to be careful. <laughs> Just, no, it's like, look, you have sensitive information. I get it. It's important. We, uh, you should try and get through. But maybe it's be like, hey, where are you? Call me back. Right. Exactly. I'm assuming that's possible. Right. It's much safer. So much safer. Yeah. Oh yes, that was his. That was his biggest feeling. And it leads the CSA to the warehouse. They're able to trace it, which leads to such a cool and unique action mm-hmm. scene. One of the more unique action scenes I feel like I've seen in a while. Oh yeah. Um, I loved this with all the falling giant metal parts from the ceiling and the, yeah. the chains that are like catching on stuff as they zip up to the roof. I, I don't know. What would you guys think of this? The part that I liked was when you knew the CSA were closing in Luthen knew it was happening. And it's just like Luthen, I think sat there and said, 
always have a back door, always have an exit, and that door just blew. And then that just started off the whole gun battle from that point. Mm-hmm. And the stuff falling was just, it, it seemed like for me, it was almost like a timing thing. Just just how how it was choreographed, how it seemed like all the stuff when it was falling was timed right to either, you know, save them from being shot or to take out one of the CSI guys or just something. It just worked out for me very well. So it did look really cool. I'll say I had a little bit of, of trouble following the actual action. Hmm. It, it pulled, I don't want to say it pulled me out because that's not really accurate, but it was, um, I found it hard to appreciate, I think, the precision shooting that was going on mm-hmm. because everything was happening so quickly and it was kind of like that shaky cam type of chaotic. It was a really neat scene. I I wish it would have been a little bit easier to grok, if that makes sense, and kind of follow everything that was going on. That's mm-hmm. that's but, fair, yeah. Yeah. I interpreted that yeah. as a... The way I it was like intentionally supposed to be chaotic and... You know, like there's, there's things falling on you from from yes. the ceiling, and you know, but and yeah, you yeah, make a good point. It, it very much delivers on that, and I was incredibly impressed with how well, um, you know, that entire sequence worked out. Like it, it felt unlike you know your average blaster fight, which is exactly what they were going for. Yeah, right. And William, you you nailed it on the head. It was very unique how they were able to do that. It's something that I don't really remember seeing in any kind of shootout like that before, especially within the Star Wars universe. I don't know other shootouts, but especially within the Star Wars universe, this was unique and this was kind of cool. Steven, I do agree now that I, I've sat here and thought about it in my head, it did seem a little chaotic, but think about the guys, the CSI guys who were going through all that. That was darn chaotic for them. So. Oh yeah, no, it, it yeah. was... I mean, I think it was a good example of Luthen. Like, you can tell he's going to be a good rebel operative if he's not already. Yes. Like, he, <laughs> yeah. you can, yeah, yeah. honestly, it's one of those things where he kind of reminds you of a better Cassian from Rogue One. Like, yeah. he's got a plan. He knows what he's doing. He's ruthless. <laughs> yeah. Like, he wants Cassian to come with him, but he's not willing to, like, let Cassian, you know, drag him down with him. Mm-hmm. But it just, Wait, yeah, it, the, it the works very thing, well. And the best thing you can say, he is the best mentor at this point Cassian can have to get him to where he needs to go to Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I suspect he will be the mentor. Just based on the way they've like, you yeah. know, they they they've they said Stellan Skarsgard is going to be a you know a major player in the series. And so I suspect he he will fill in that role of mentor, you know, as as every every Star Wars thing uh needs a good mentor. Uh yep. you know and uh I think he he fits that that role really well. And I just love their, the, the, the relationship between the two of them and how, you know, Stellan is so, uh, or, 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 or um, Luthen is so cool and level headed and always has a plan. And Cassian still is a little, little kind Rough of flying by, the yeah, flying by the seat of his pants. A little the bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's, it's really well done. I also loved the sequence where they're escaping in the speeder. Well, I guess, you know, they first Luthen is actually, I should mention Luthen is, he has a little bit of that Cassian from rogue one where they, they capture Cyril, poor Cyril and Luthen wants to kill him, but Cassian just knocks him out. 
And yeah. you know, fast forward to Rogue One where Cassian actually kills an informant of all people uh for that. Uh, one of their own his own informants because the guy was injured. Uh so I think he'll definitely pick up Luthen's traits as they go along. Um but that that escape sequence, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on that with the uh the distraction. Okay. It's almost like it's really well paced. Um, you know, we get lots of shots of like the the corporate troopers, the CSA, just kind of like sitting on the rooftops, just waiting for their mm-hmm. chance. And you can feel them looking forward to it. And then they have that speeder blast out, immediately explode. And they're all like, ah, we did it. And start yeah. patting themselves on the back. You're just like, no, there's no, you are all fools. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you feel sorry for those guys. They're trying to do a job and just can't get it right. No, I mean I can't feel that sorry for them. So I'm sorry. I just I they went in with such gusto, man. Such a great, great warm up speech. Boy, did that make them feel really good. They were going to accomplish what they wanted to. (laughs) Just yeah, I think they uh, came up short. Tom, you just love that speech way too much. (laughs) That is that's my takeaway right here. So uncomfortable. Oh, it's so great. It's so great. Um, One of the other things I really appreciate about this first three episodes in particular, but I think it's especially noticeable in this episode is just how big the city feels. It's something we complained a lot about in particularly the book of Boba Fett, but you know some of the other previous Star Wars shows too, where it's often. I know, Steven, this is something you bring up all the time, right? It feels like you're on the exact same street, just shot at different angles. Mm-hmm. And this city, they actually, you know, in a, a the the in a in a press junket uh, press conference, um, the uh, uh, Tony Gilroy talked about how they actually built an eight and a half acre city just for this show. Um, it's a 360 degree set. And uh, at one point, um, you know, when Bix was uh, was running, um, you know, she, the director just said, run. And she was said, where? And he's like, anywhere you want. We'll just follow you. Like, we don't care. The city is so big. Make it up and, and just enjoy. And you, it, you really feel that in this show. You feel mm-hmm. just how much work they put into fleshing out the entire city. And it's I not just that. Like- one of the reasons I think it works so well is you actually still do get some of the um, experience we got from like what they were trying for with Book of Boba Fett, where there's you know there's landmarks. Sure, we right. see the bell tower in the background of a lot of shots, but it feels yep. like it's the center of the town, not like it's this is our set and we can't go yes. ten feet in either direction. Yeah, it, it they really did an amazing job uh, with making it feel real yeah. and working. And I think the other thing was they actually populated it with a whole bunch of people mm-hmm. and especially just, you know, the, I think they had the, um, the, the vendor, the, the vendor, vendor, um, stores and just made it feel like it was lived in. And I gotta say that guy with the hammer and the bell thing that also gave <laughs> the city a very interesting thing that have we ever really seen in star Wars, something like this, but it gave the, the town, a character mm-hmm. and it felt like it was alive because there was a ton of people. Yeah. And even as they, even as they 
as you know, Cassian leaves the the planet at the very end of the episode, you get shots of Marva and B B two EMO kind of reflecting on how Cassian's gone. Bix mourning Tim Brasso alone, drinking by himself. Right, it, they're they're lingering on all these other people, really giving that feeling that wow, th- things have changed. These people are still there, but Cassian is gone and may never return. Right, it's. Yeah, it, it it makes the cast feel really big and important. And I think the the saddest thing in some ways, and thing I actually want to get your thoughts on is, are we done with Ferrix? Like I, the they killed off some characters. It kind of seems like the end of the story in on this planet. Like he's left. Do you think he'll ever go home back to Ferrix, or is this the last we've seen of the the city? I, Especially if they built such a massive city, you know. I suspect we'll go back. Um, Cassian still has, you know, Marva there and others that they, I don't want to call them like uh, key characters, but like they're, they are things that attach, give him attachment. And I, I kind of feel like in order to be the Cassian that we see in Rogue One, he needs to have no attachments and have mm-hmm. no cares. So, I mean, I don't know how long we're going to be away from the planet. You know, maybe we don't come back until the very end. But I, I have a feeling we'll we'll be back. Yeah, that's yeah. I I, I suspect you're probably right. They, well, I'm always right, William. There's exactly. They, I mean, they just they they brought in too many cast members, like are big players, and and built too big of a city not to return. But I'll be honest, I kinda, I, I kind of felt a little. It was a little bittersweet as, as he was leaving. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow, it's I, it's over. I, we may not ever come back here, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, I'll say, if I will actually give them major props if we don't come back to Ferrix. Because that would feel like I the first time in a Star Wars show where I didn't feel like they actually played something out and instead just let there be a... No, there, there's more here. Yeah. Like, I mean, and Tatooine is, a, a, I think, a classic poster child for this of, like... We've been to Tatooine so many times. We know every inch of that planet. There's not anything new to discover there. There's mm. new stuff to discover in Ferrix, almost certainly. And there is room to tell more story if they wanted to. And I think that's well, that's cool. And I, I, I think I think if they were go, if they were to go back to the planet, you could almost say Cassian could use that as like a base of operations for, let's say, his rebel cell. Like remember Lethal when it came yeah. to that part of the rebellion. They could always use this planet as the same thing because he technically has, you know, other than the mentor who, you know, we don't know where he is at this moment to where he makes his, you know, rebel cell. But he does have the two people who saved him that are on that planet. Plus, he's got his friend who helped him get hooked up with uh, Luthen. So that's a possibility. They could always do that with this planet. You know, and we do, there is some evidence that there might be uh, people worthy of a cell here as well. Like, mm-hmm. we haven't talked about it, but there's the the uh, random construction worker. Brasso? That, is it Brasso? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I'll be honest, I had a lot of trouble keeping some of the characters straight. There's so, so many of them. I know, there's so many of them. Uh, it's yeah. probably my biggest complaint in some ways with, like, some of these episodes, just, like, broadly. It's just like, okay, I, there's, like, Cassian, there's two, there's, I don't even remember his name now. Is it Nix? Um, there's Bix, Tim. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Tim is what I'm thinking of. I, it took yeah. me until the third episode to realize that Tim and Brasso weren't the same character. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, I couldn't get, get keep. So uh, in this show, I can I can t- separate them. But the actors 
uh, the actors who play uh, Tim Carlo and Cyril Karn, they look very similar in headshots. And I was it, trying to figure out who was who. And I was like, wait, what? In the show, I have no... It's very easy. But outside of the show, I was, I was getting confused. Wow. <laughs> but anyway, so Brasso ties a piece of junk to the back of one of the Imperial gunships. To, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. name is. That uh, was cool. And watching... That just that crash was perfect. I was very happy yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> and that, I'm always that happy was... when stuff crashes. You guys know that. Oh yeah. And, and especially a very unusual way to make it crash. We've never seen anything be pulled down I... by a big boulder like that before. Yeah. I just want to say, no, now you're gonna get me on a. I really appreciate how it. realistic it felt as well. Yes. Um, because it's not. You can tell it's not the issue. Is not that the ship is can't carry the weight. It is. It catches on something, and the pilot doesn't have enough time to react before it crashes. And I, mm-hmm. hats off to them for demonstrating that so very clearly through the like cinematography and the shots they choose. Just mm-hmm. very well done. Yeah. yeah, totally, totally agree. I even loved the the cool shots at the very beginning of the episode where the salvage is being taken apart on Ferrix. Like the establishing shots and all the little things they did in this in this series. It just looks. It's really cool. It, they, they've One done a really good job. And one shot I really like is that wall of gloves. Oh, that was awesome. That, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what it is about it, but it's almost like it's almost like you're leaving your 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 lunchbox and you're leaving it there when you go to lunch and you're picking it up when you go home. And it's like these guys, when they were going to work, they pick up their gloves and then they leave them there so they can go home. I, I love that. That's that's so cool. So we uh we ready for our ratings now? Because I think we've covered an awful lot, and I think, I think we're good to go. I think we are. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited to hear what you guys thought of these. How what you guys would rate these these first three episodes? Are uh, we doing them as rating them as uh, individual or as all? Three? I I actually think we should. I feel like we need to rate them all as one. Actually, yeah. I I, realize, I, I am going to agree normally, with Steven. I would normally vote for separate, but I. Yeah. It feels like a continuous arc to me, and yes. I think it's we can maybe give opinions as part of you know our rating, but maybe we just do it all as one. Yeah, I agree because I, it's I it's, agree. it's too hard to separate out these episodes in many ways because they're so they're so intrinsically tied together, right? You know, uh, and reviewing just the first part is kind of like reviewing the first part of a movie. Uh, yeah, you know, by itself. Um, so. Yeah, I think I think because of the way it's being released, with all three episodes being released the same night, it's easy to do it this way because you really do feel the cinematic of the three episodes together. So I I, I think we should do it, and I'm going to kick it off to where I am going to. I've got to give this right now an eight point five. I love this, and I will say. The one thing when you're watching these episodes, it is a first arc of Cassian Andor's story. Get past the first two episodes because it's really leading up to the third episode, which really kicks the series into high gear and very enjoyable to watch. So I I love the action sequence in, let's say, the factory with all the stuff falling down. I did understand the backstory stuff they were trying to, to, to give Cassian for the first two episodes. I, I just, I really think when it got to the third episode, it just kicked itself into high gear 
an 8.5 for me, and I'm going to take my 8.5 Womp Rats. And when all that stuff was falling inside that factory, those 8.5 were actually nine Womp Rats, and they were all doing a, a great job dodging everything except that one that just quite didn't make it. <laughs> That's the 0.5. Poor Womp Rat. Yeah, well, he tried. Steven, what what would you uh, what would you give this these first three episodes? I'm going to immediately go back on what I proposed uh, and say. <laughs> so, I really think I had a uh, God. Where do I even start? I struggled a little bit with the first two episodes. They were interesting, but I felt like they were too long. Um, and it, I just wish they'd trimmed a little bit. Like I felt like they had you know an hour and ten minutes of content. And if they trimmed it down to like one 40, 50 minute episode, it would have been much stronger. It is the premiere is absolutely saved in my mind by the addition of episode three, which pays off everything they set up, kicks in some actual action, um, some really good character development, like uh, uh, Stellan Skarsgård's character, um, Luthen, does, is, I think, a much needed breath. Um, a lot of people in the show don't talk a lot either. And I feel like Luthen was one of the more vocal characters, which helped move it along. So I think I'm going to give it an eight out of 10 in total um, with like the third episode being much stronger and the first two being a little bit on the weaker side. If you were to like divvy that up, if that makes sense. Um, Yeah, totally fair. But overall, yeah, yeah. it's one of those things where it's a little bit tough to say, um, no, it's fine. You have to watch the first, you know, hour, 60 minutes of content. It's not even 60. It's probably what, like 70 um, before you get to the good stuff. But I do think it's worth it. I mean, especially if you're a Star Wars fan. Um, but that, that's just kind of the the cost involved here. Um, so yeah, I'll give it an eight out of ten. And I'm also stalling a little bit because I'm trying to think of what I want to do with my womp rats. Um, well, I just I so there were eight romp rats. They had a beautiful family. Um, they you know were living on Ferrix, um, you know, a nice junkyard. Um, and then one day, you know, they felt some like something was like jiggling or you know thunking on their their home. Um, and what they didn't realize is that Basso had hooked up their home to the back of a Republic gunship. And, you know, the, the rest is history, unfortunately. Um, they survived, of course. They, they jumped out before the, the wreckage hit the ship. Um, you know, they, they had their little womp rat parachutes, but, you know, their, their home was gone. And that's always very sad. Oh boy. Oh boy. I Fascinating. Love it. I love it. Yeah. You know, I, I agree with you guys. I thought the first two episodes were enjoyable but they you definitely have to stick with it right it's not Mm -hmm. that they're bad but they're not bad at all it's but they're slower they take their time it's a slow burn and and many shows do this many prestige shows and they're fantastic but you have to be willing to immerse yourself in this world right and and get to know these characters Mm -hmm. and Things may not be fully explained until the third episode in many cases. Um, and then once you hit the third episode, it, it really does feel like the culmination of this this chapter, this arc, uh, this act. And, and then we kind of head off into the rest of the series. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, exactly as you said, both, both of you, Tom and Steven, the... It, I, I'm glad that Disney made a relatively last-minute decision to add the third episode to the premiere because at mm-hmm. least viewers can watch all three at once and just 
pretend like you're sitting down to watch a Star Wars movie, basically. Not not like a, I don't want to give it, overhype it in that sense. Like it's on the scale of, oh my God, you know, the how how big a Star Wars movie is. But it does feel like, an you know, a, a Cassian Andor movie, origin story movie. And, um, and, and it works really well all together. And so, yeah, definitely recommend watch all three. I hope everyone does. I actually agree with you, Tom. I'm going to give it eight and a half Womp Rats out of, out of 10. And my eight and a half Womp Rats, they're going to accompany um, good old CSA Inspector Cyril Karn throughout his entire uh, arc in these three episodes. And hopefully Cyril... Hopefully Cyril continues um, and, and the rest of these characters because I really like a lot of these characters and I hope it's not the last we see of them. Um, we shall see. Wow. We shall, we shall see. We shall definitely see. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, our, that's our review of the first three episodes of the new Star Wars series Andor. Um, this has been really fun. I hope you all enjoyed listening to this and, and watching, the, of course, the, the premiere as much as we did. Uh, coming up next week on Ion Cannon, we'll have our review of episode four of Andor, in which Cassian and Luthen continue their adventure and familiar faces are introduced. That's not the official synopsis. But because there isn't one, we're just going to give you a little tease for what happens in episode four. And if you listen to our spoiler-free thoughts, you might have some spoiler-free ideas of, of what could potentially happen in episode four as well. Uh, any, any closing thoughts guys, before we wrap up this big three, uh, part episode. Oh, also I, I almost forgot. I had to call it one really cool shot at the very beginning when Cassian is in that alley, uh, in episode one and, um, the, they're kind of coming after him. Right. Uh, the 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 two officers and the murder happens and everything else. The two get they get killed. Um, it's a really cool shot where they just focus the camera focuses on Cassian's face the entire time. The guys are coming up behind him and kind of harassing him, and mm-hmm. you just see Cassian and while uh, kind of reacting to it in his face, while in the background these guys are harassing him, and it's not until like the the fight I think even happens that the camera moves away. Really well done. Really interesting. Um. But yeah, I, I really like the music. Oh, and I love the inclusion of the location placards. Like Rogue One, you know exactly yep. mm-hmm. where yep. you are at all times. Um, so yeah, while it's I think it's a slow burn at the beginning, uh, it it will it can it will continue ramping up, and it yeah. feels the most unique of any of the Star Wars shows. It feel it feels different, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's really cool. It feels different, but it still feels like it's grounded in the Star Wars. Exactly, universe. exactly. It feels yeah. like Star Wars, but like a like there's just random scenes in like Bix and Tim Carlo's or Bix's house when she and Tim Carlo are just chatting, you know. Uh, and it, it it almost feels like some other show. Like we don't typically right. see that kind of thing in Star Wars, right? Um, and yet it's it still feels Star Wars, and I think that's yep. what's so interesting about this show and so so cool. And I can't wait to see more. This has been a long episode, but you know, it's it's not every day we get to talk about the premiere, like three episodes for the premiere of a new Star Wars show. Although yeah. it's becoming more common. Um yeah. ironically enough. But yeah, it's looking forward to talking about the next one. Yeah. 
So am I. Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you all for listening, as always. And we'll be back next week with our review of Andor Episode 4. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.